the type of stuff that happens in this church. Uh, we had a prayer meeting at first for the retreat that is happening next weekend. And if you are going to the retreat, I want you to know that we prayed for you by name. We literally spoke your name out. We have a list of all the attendees that will be there. And uh, we've, we're, we've been praying for you. We prayed for you this morning. We will continue to pray for you as we prepare for this coming uh, weekend. And another thing that uh, I don't, this isn't something that, we, that the speaker and I worked out, um, but he's going to speak on how we as a church partner together for the gospel. He'll be speaking from the book of Philippians. And today I'm going to be speaking on how we come together and partner together for the gospel. And it just worked out that way. So consider this message Part of part one of what is happening next weekend. It's 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 all coming together uh, by the design of God. So I'm going to be speaking from First Corinthians chapter one. And I'm going to ask you to turn there. This is what we'll be looking at this week, this uh, this morning. First Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine. You can follow along in your bulletin. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brothers Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the Word of God. I want to begin our time with a story. And the story goes like this. There was a rich man. He lived in the center of the city. He lived in a big and beautiful home, the biggest and most gorgeous home right there in the middle of the city. And he was very wealthy. And he was also a good man. He loved the people in the city, and he wanted everyone in the city to know how much he loved them. They were always welcome in his home. He wanted them to know. So he sent his servants out to the people in the city, and he told these servants to hand everyone who would take one, take an envelope. He gave an envelope to his servants to hand out to everyone who would take one. And in this envelope contained two things. One was a check for $10 million, and the other was an invitation to meet the man in his home in the center of the city. So the servants, they went out, and they talked to as many people as they could. They came across almost everyone in the city, and many of these people, they saw the envelopes, and they turned it down. They gave the reasons. I don't need whatever is in this envelope. I don't need whatever it is you're offering I've heard about this man that lives in the center of the city, but I'm not really sure that he really exists. Or, I know of him, and I've heard that he can help relieve the suffering of our neighbors with all his riches, but he chooses not to relieve their suffering. So I don't want anything to do with this man. 
And others said, well, I have enough money of my own, so I don't need the money that this man is offering. I don't need someone else's money. And others, they turned away because they simply didn't like the way that these servants spoke. They didn't like the, the way these servants looked. But others, others saw the envelope and they were happy to take it. And when they opened it up, they rejoiced because they never thought that something like this would happen to them. Some were struggling and what they received was exactly what they needed to alleviate their pain. Some were filled with excitement for what they could do with the $10 million. Some were so astounded, not by the money, but the fact that there was someone who would give this to them. So they all opened up the envelope. They looked at the invitation. The invitation said this, Come, friend. Come and let's celebrate. Come tonight. Sunsets meet at the house in the middle of the city. At sunset, the recipients of the envelopes, they made their way up to the center of the city. And the man welcomed each one with a big smile and a huge hug. And as they walked in, they could see his home was all that they imagined and more. It was big and it was beautiful. The finest artwork adorned the walls. There were tall vaulted ceilings. There were ornate windows that cast beautiful colors when the sunlight hit it just right. And then he invited them to eat. They ate, and the food was amazing. It was the best they ever had. And as they ate it, they just thought about how good this man was, that he would be so generous, that he would be so kind. After everyone had their fill of food, the man gathered all the people, and this is what he told them. He said, I want you to know that the $10 million that I gave you, that was just an initial gift to you. And actually, I want you to know that if there's anything you need, anything at all, I will give it to you. No questions asked. In fact, everything that you see around you, this now belongs to you. This home belongs to you. You are welcome to come in whenever you want for whatever use you want for it. And the reason why I'm doing this is because, simply, I love you. The people, as they heard these words from this man, they were completely dumbfounded. They exploded with happiness and gratitude. They were clapping, cheering, high-fiving each other. And as things settled down, the man told these people, there's something else that I want to tell you. I want you to know that you're not the only people that I love. I love the entire city, and I want you to go back out, and I want you to tell all your neighbors, tell all your friends, that I want to have this. I want your friends, your neighbors, to have the same thing that you have. I want them to experience what you experienced today. I want you to do it together as a team. I want all of you in this room to come together for this one thing. So, to some people, it was an absolute no-brainer. Of course. I'm going to do this. Of course I want to tell my neighbors and my friends. I'm willing to do whatever you ask. Others were a little bit more hesitant. They began worrying. Well, what if I tell others about this rich man and I just look really dumb telling these people that there's someone who wants to give you all these things. They didn't want to be seen as weird. They, didn't, they wanted to maintain their reputation, so they weren't so sure. And then others agreed in principle that this is something that they should do, but they felt the man's request was just a little bit more than they were willing to do. They just wanted to enjoy their $10 million and be done with it. And then others looked at the other people in the room, and they became really, they became really uneasy. 
they weren't sure that they wanted to carry out the requests of this man if it meant that they had to associate with the other people in the room because the other people in the room were so different from them. Some people seemed really uncultured. Some people seemed unintelligent. Some people came from neighborhoods that were vastly different from from their own. And there was no way that they could understand each other because of their backgrounds. Some dressed funny. Some spoke too much about how they would use their money to help the people in the city. And others spoke too little about how they would use their money. Some voted differently than than they did in the last election. And therefore, they concluded... These are not people that I want to team up with. They didn't think that the man's request was unreasonable, but to ask them to associate with the other people in the room, that seemed a bit too much. And so it was that many of the recipients of the man's gifts, they became friends and they figured out how to work together so that they could tell the other people in the city about this good man and his invitation But others, they left the man's house without carrying out his request because that would have forced them to associate with people they didn't want to associate with. And it would have required that they change the way that they live. And this was more than they were willing to do. Now, this is a story that is, I just made it up. And this is also a reflection of the church. Maybe or maybe not IGC, but it's a, it's a reflection, it's a sad reality of many churches that there are people of God that make up the church, and we come together, we remember all that Christ has done for us, we celebrate all that we have from God, but sometimes when we're told that we need to do something with what we're given, we become uneasy. Have you ever felt that way? When we think about what it's going to cost us to obey God, will come up with excuses to not do them. And when we're told that we need to do it with other people, we think of how difficult it might be to work with other people, with with certain people that are so different from us in the church. And we start thinking of reasons why we don't want to be a part of what's happening. I can do it by myself, but I don't want to do it with these people next to me. Now, I suspect that this might be true of some of us here at this church. I know it's true because there's at least one person in this church that feels that way sometimes, and he's speaking to you right now. So this is why God has given us the word. He's given us the word because it teaches us, it challenges challenges us, and if God is working, if God is kind to us, God's word will change us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to let the word speak to us, and we're going to come with expectation that maybe God is going to say something to me, that maybe God is going to do something through his word. We're beginning a short series on the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians today, and from now until September, we're going to look at the scriptures, the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. We're going to see what God desires in a church, and we'll consider how we might be a part of what God is doing in his church So we looked at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, and this is a greeting to the Corinthian church, this young Corinthian church, and we're going to go through it, and I have three points to help us uh, understand what's happening in this passage. So number one is the assembling of the church, the first point. The second point is the gifting of the church, and number three, the promise to the church. So our first point, uh, the assembling of the church. 
So later in the, in, the book, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul will address this division and disunity in the church. But he first hints at it in this passage that we just read. He, he says that the saints of Corinth are not just saints individually, but he says the saints are called together. Verse 2, all those who are sanctified in Jesus are called to be saints together. So this is what we're going to focus on right now. The word together. If we do some research on the Corinthian, the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians, we know that the church was made up of a lot of different types of people, people of all socioeconomic levels, different levels of education, different cultural and ethnic backgrounds. There were religious and formerly irreligious people in the church. There were male, female, married, single, divorced, widowed. There were drunkards. There were teetotalers. There were loud people. There were quiet people. And Paul is writing this book to this church made up of all these different types of people. And here is a young church. It was in a bustling city, which was uh, one of the major trade routes in the Roman Empire. And there was a lot of commerce happening. So a lot of people came together for, with the hopes that they could earn a living there. And this meant that there were all types of people converging in the city of Corinth. The population, as we do some uh, research, it, uh, we... We've, we learned that the population was made up of Greeks, they were made up of Romans, people of different cultural backgrounds and differences, and this was a source of of tension in the city. Uh, Religion was a huge part of life in Corinth, not just uh, the Christian religion. Actually, the the church was very small at this time, but there were temples and shrines that dotted the city of Corinth, especially the main streets and thoroughfares thoroughfares of Corinth, a lot of religious stuff. And then there was immorality. There was sexual immorality. This was something that was such a regular thing that hardly anyone was shocked by what they heard because sexual immorality was so rampant in the city. So this is Corinth. And all these things that made up the city, all these problems that existed in the city, they were brought into the Corinthian church. There were differing worldviews. There, were, there was sexual immorality. There was confusion about religious truth, which meant that in the church there were plenty of problems. Division was common. People were neglected. People were discriminated against based on their status. Believers hurt each other. And yet, as we look at this passage, we're told that this is exactly how God wanted it to be. Paul tells us they've been called together by God's wisdom, by his loving design. He has called all these people to make up the church in Corinth. When, when I was in seminary, I heard a lot of talk about uh, building churches numerically. I was around all these pastors and, uh, and aspiring pastors in seminary, and I met a lot of uh, pastors that were in ministry for years and years and uh, this was in Southern, Sem- Southern California. And if you know anything about Southern California church culture, um, you know it's c- really different from here in the Bay Area. Uh, there are a lot of churches in Southern California. And the questions that were asked, um, I was around a bunch of younger uh, believers. Um, people would say, which church is the hippest? Which church is the newest? Which church has the best pastor, the most exciting worship band, which one has the nicest campus. If you've ever been to some of these megachurch campuses in Southern California, they are amazing. Uh, 
which church is attracting the most people, which church has the most media attention. And some of the pastors that I spoke with, they were completely unashamed that their goal was to build up a really big church. So churches that had maybe 100 people, they would talk in terms of, how can I grow this church to 200 people in the next 12 months? There were churches of 400 people, and they would make plans. And in the next five years, we want to be a church of 2,000 people. And I've grown up here mostly in the Bay Area, and I've been around churches for um, a while now, and I have some thoughts about these pastors or churches that want to build large churches. Number one, there is nothing inherently better about small churches. Uh, and number two, there is God has designed some churches to be really big, and praise God that we have big churches. But also, we need to rem- remember that every person that comes into church comes in with their own quirks, their own sins, their own issues. Everyone who joins a church is bringing in more potential for conflict. So as a church grows, that means there is more disagreement, there's more gossip, there's more criticism, there's more discontent. And who wants that? And I would scratch my head. I, I think some of these pastors, they, they want so many people in the church. And I think... Do you realize that you're going to have to give an account of their souls before God one day? That's such a scary thing. Do you really want to be responsible for these 2,000 souls or however many people they wanted? The other thing was, the more people you have in the church, that means there is going to be more work for you. There's going to be more criticisms against you. And I think about that, and I look at the, the church in Corinthian in Corinth, And I can imagine the leaders of the Corinthian church, after some time in ministry, after they witnessed how the church was, there must have been this part of them that that shuddered when someone joined because it means here is more potential for conflict. Here is more potential for division and fighting in the church. But again, we're told in this passage, the choice wasn't theirs to make. It was God who called every person in the church into the church. This is true of the Corinthian church, and this is true of Indelible Grace Church. God has called us together. In this church, we have lower middle class, we have middle class, we have upper middle class, we have liberals and conservatives, we have people of all different ethnicities, we have intuitive people and sensing people, we have logical people and emotional people. We have visionaries and dreamers, and we have practical doers, people who can't see beyond the next week. And there might come a day, because we have so many different types of people, there might come a day when we're going to have major conflict in this church. And before that happens, we need to resolve to be a church that can handle the conflict well. Now, I need to say that conflict isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, in a church, conflict might be necessary. Conflict is okay, but division is not. And Paul is speaking to this church. He knows uh, he's going to address this church. There's division, division happening in this church. And you guys need to get it together. So as we look at this text, we need to recognize that it was God's idea to bring all these people together. And we need to learn to appreciate in this church everyone in, our, in this church with all our differences, with all these things that we can't seem to get past the same way that God designed the Corinthian church, God has also designed Indelible Grace Church. 
we are fellow saints, and it's Jesus who unites us. If you look at all the way down to verse 9, the Corinthians are called not only to be a church together as saints, but also they're called into the fellowship of His Son. This is what it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may have heard the word koinonia before. There's, I've heard of koinonia campground. There's koinonia uh, coffee houses. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool, cool name for things. Um, and what it means is communal participation. It's an activity done in the context of God's covenant to his people. The, the commentator Paul Gardner, he writes this, Koinonia is the outcome. Koinonia fellowship is the goal of God's choosing for himself a people who will be a community in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at verse 9, as we pull it apart, we said there's some, some things that give us a hint of what Paul is talking about when he talks about fellowship. He refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. This title, Lord, is a reference point for believers to stand under. To be a part of a fellowship is to stand under the Lordship of Christ together. That means that if we are to truly fellowship, we are to be doing the mission of Jesus. A lot, there's a lot of stuff that we do sometimes that we call fellowship. We think, oh, well, if I get together with other believers, that's fellowship. I'm going to get, grab a hamburger with someone, that's fellowship. Uh, maybe, but maybe not. Uh, sometimes what we call fellowship is not biblical fellowship. It might be friendship, and this is legitimate, this is a blessing from God, but it's not necessarily fellowship. True koinonia, true fellowship that Paul is talking about here, it's participating in life deeply with other believers who call Jesus Lord. If you want a fellowship, you need to get together with other people who are under the lordship of Jesus, who recognize that God has intentionally and purposefully called us together for a purpose. And God has called us together for the purpose of using our gifts together for the glory of God. So we're called together as a church, and God says, I've done that for a specific purpose. And this brings us to our second point, the gifting. So Paul, he moves on in this greeting, and he mentions how the Corinthian believers, they've been gifted. He says they're enriched in Christ in all speech and knowledge. Verse 5. Now, if you take a poll of all the giftings and skill sets in this church, I think we'll be astounded by all the things that we can do as individuals in this room. And we need, if we're members of this church, we need to use all our giftings, all our skill sets for the sake of the mission of the church. Last week, we talked about one of the vows that we made as we became members of the church. We all promised to support the work of IGC to the best of our ability when we became members. And practically, this means that we have to use all our unique gifts for what God has called IGC to do. And that is to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. And that means that all the gifts that we have don't belong to us. They belong to the work of God's people. All our skills and resources were meant for more than just us as individuals. A few weeks ago, my nephew Eli, he turned three, and uh, Christine took Zachary shopping. They went to Target, and they bought a few presents for 
uh, Eli, they're, they're about the same age, my son Zachary and Eli. Um, so Zachary chose the toys. He chose the bag that he was going to give to Eli. And a few days later, we, we drove to the daycare that both Zachary and Eli go to. And as usual, these two cousins, they, they love being with each other. They're, they're always playing. They're always laughing um, when, they're, when they're together. And I pulled the gift bag out, and I said, Zachary, um, hold on to this. And Zachary gladly held on to this bag of gifts. And I told, I told Zachary, okay, now, Zachary, give this to Eli. It's his birthday. And immediately, he bursts into tears. I have it on video. It, it was super cute. <laughs> Immediately, Zachary starts crying because he wanted to keep the gift for himself. So I had to explain to him, no, Zachary, uh, the reason why I gave you this gift is so that you could pass it on to your cousin. And after some convincing, uh, he finally handed it over. And I, I was able to use this interaction as an opportunity to teach him as much as a, th- as a two-and-a-half-year-old can understand I use this as an opportunity to teach Zachary that sometimes what's put into our hands isn't really meant for us. And this is what Paul is getting at when he talks about the giftings of the Corinthian church. He doesn't thank the Corinthians for using their gifts. He doesn't laud the Corinthians for having these specific gifts. What does he do? He thanks God for giving them their gifts. It wasn't a way to praise the Corinthians for having gifts or even using gifts. This was Paul telling the Corinthians, everything that you have belongs to God, which means that it doesn't belong to you. He points out specifically two gifts, their speech and knowledge. As we continue on in the rest of 1 Corinthians, we'll see that Paul, he mentions uh, these two specific gifts, knowledge and, and uh, speech, uh, he addresses them because the Corinthians, they had wrong attitudes about them. But he also puts them in a positive light in this particular chapter. Um, and we'll look at these uh, gifts in just a few weeks as we look, continue in chapter 1. Um, but for now, we just need to look at what Paul is saying. He's saying these gifts, this speech and knowledge, this is given to you from God. And thank God because they are wonderful gifts. So he wants the church to know that this was something that was given to them for a specific purpose. It was given to them by God for the work of God to be done by the family of God. Now, In the same way that I didn't give a bag of gifts to Zachary to keep for himself, God doesn't give us, give us our gifts so that we can keep them to ourselves. He doesn't give them so that we could just work for our own benefits God's plan for us is way, way bigger than what we can imagine for our own lives. We have to recognize that nothing here is something that we can possess to ourselves. Everything that we have, our money, our time, our resources, our giftings, this is for the sake of what the church is doing, what God is doing through the church. There's something, uh, as I was reading through this passage, I found something super encouraging to me. If you look at verse 7, Paul says that the church is not lacking any gift. The church is not lacking any spiritual gift. Now, have you ever looked at Indelible Grace Church, or if you're a part of another church or you've attended other churches, have you ever had this thought that if this church only had such and such, they could really do some amazing things? 
They could do so much more if only. If only they had leaders with this skill set or that skill set. If only the children's ministry or the music ministry or the small group ministry had these tools or these people leading them. If only they had more resources. If only this church had a building. If only we could bring someone in to teach our people how to better love each other, how to care for the community, how to be dedicated, or how to give more. If only we had these things. And if I were to take a survey of everyone at IGC, and if I were to ask you, what do you think IGC needs? Every one of us would be able to think of something to write down. And I could spend a couple hours reading out all the things that we need as a church. And then we could look to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. And we could also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it would hold a mirror up to our church and say, everything that you need, you already have. We have 128 members and 29 communicant children in this church, covenant children in this church. That is given to us by God so that we could do what he's called us to do. Everything that this church needs is in this church at this very moment. And this has got to be an encouragement to us. I hear things about what we need as a church all the time. I have so many criticisms of the church. I have criticisms of some of you people sitting in the pew right now. Uh, But they may or may not be valid. There are so many things that I wish that we could do as a church, and we can do them. But we need to follow what God is saying in his word, and we need to exercise our gifts. We need to remember that God has called us together to do his work Think of everything that you have at your disposal. You have your energy, your time, your humor, your knowledge. You've got your compassion. You have artistic talent. You have hospitality, the gift of hospitality. You have love for children. You have a logical mind, perhaps. You have emotional depth. And all that needs to be used in the context of the church. What Paul is telling us in this passage is that The church, indelible grace church, has everything it needs because you are a part of the church. I literally mean we have everything we need because you, if you are a member of this church, are here. I heard reports uh, that some people were approached by, um, some, some ministry heads were approached by people that were interested in helping Uh, in their ministries after last week's sermon. And this is super duper encouraging to me and hopefully to you. Um, I also heard from some people, they want to help, but they don't know how they can help in the church. They don't know where exactly they fit in at Indelible Grace Church. And um, they also, some people also told me, like, some people need to be asked specifically before they'll help. And I I totally get that. Um, So I'm going to ask each of us specifically how can you use your giftings for the work of this church? I'm going to make the ask right now. If you're not investing yourself in a specific ministry, will you use your gifts for the sake of our mission to make disciples? I have in the, on the welcome table a sheet of paper uh, with 
all, not all our ministries, but many of the ministries that need, that could use more people, more volunteers. I have that in the back, uh, in the welcome table. And uh, if you feel like you want to use your gifts in specific ways, put your name and your email address, fill out the ministry that you want to help with. Or if you don't know how you can help yet, just there's a box for you to check. Um, this is how you can be a part of what you could, we're doing here at, at Indelible Grace Church. Um, you could also email myself or Tracy. Um, if you are a part of a community group, I ask you to talk to your CG leader and ask them, what can I do specifically to make sure that you will continue to lead my group well for months, for the coming 12 months? What can I do specifically? Talk to your community group leaders. And one thing that I hear all the time is, I'm so busy uh, I've got a family. I have children. It's really difficult for me even to come out to church on Sundays. Or I might have a job that doesn't allow me to be here every week. What can I do? I'm going to ask you to do perhaps what is the most important thing of all. I'm going to ask you to learn to pray for this church. I know that this doesn't come natural for a lot of us. But I'm going to ask you, if you want to be a part of what we're doing at IGC, the most important thing we do is that we pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. And if you don't know how to pray, I'm going to, I can recommend some resources for you just to read. And you can start off with just, can you pray for this church for two minutes? And can you read a book? Right now I'm reading a book. It's called Old Paths, New Power. And this is a book about ministry in the church. And there was this really uh, convicting thing that I read. And they said that in the early church, in the, in the book of Acts, the apostles, they prayed for three days, and they preached for ten minutes. And what happened in the early church? Was it because their speech was amazing? No, it was because God was working through the prayers of his people. So if there is not a specific ministry that you can help with right now, I want to ask you specifically to pray for the people in the church. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the people in, in your community groups. If you don't know that many people, find one or two people that you do know and just ask them, what is something that I can pray for? What's happening in your life? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the sower. We were told that the word fell on good soil. And the text tells us very specifically, there was... 30 times, 60 times, 100 times fruitfulness in the soil when the seed was planted, if the soil was good. And I wonder what type of fruit we could see at this church if we all took seriously what God is saying to us in his word. What would, think with me, what would a 30-fold increase in fruitfulness in this church look like? Do you believe that that can happen? Because God believes that. He says it in his word. Don't look at what we lack as a church. Look at what we have. God says, you have everything that you need. God has gifted you for a specific purpose. This is why God's, Paul says in this, in this passage, we've been called together. We're held together with glue for a specific purpose. And that brings us to our final points. I have been a part, I mentioned earlier, I've been a part of 
a church. I've been in a lot of church context or religious context for a long time. And I've heard stuff like this all the time. People calls for volunteers. And I know that often it might seem like this is the leaders of the church guilting the people into serving. Does it feel that way sometimes? I apologize if that's how it comes across. I don't mean for that at all. What I do want is that we all exercise our gifts, that we use them for what God has called us to do. I'm not going to lay any guilt on you. I'm going to trust that God's Spirit is going to speak to us. And I'm going to say to you that actually Paul says, I'm not going to guilt you, Corinthians, into doing that either. In fact, he says, you are guiltless. Look at verse three, or, or, our third point, the promise the second half of verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now notice what Paul writes in verse 8. Jesus will sustain the church until the end of their work. The church is not left to her own. If you've ever felt tired of carrying the work of ministry, you should find at least two things in this passage to encourage you. The first is this. One, that we are not alone in our work. If we're really carrying out what God is telling us in his word, it means that none of us are doing this on our own. We have the church. And I hope that all of us who call IGC our home will make sure that no one feels alone in their ministry. Keep an eye out for those who are serving. Uh, there are so many people in this church that have been serving tirelessly for, for years um, and no one realizes how much work they put in to make sure that this church can do what it does. That's the first encouragement that we are not alone. The second encouragement is that Jesus will, will sustain you. He'll give us strength to carry out what he's called us to do through his spirit or in the church context, Jesus is giving us power to do what we need to be doing. And if you get tired, you can remember this invitation from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus who knows your every need. Jesus, our shepherd. Jesus, our Lord. He never calls us to do something that he will not give us strength for. As we move on to the end of the passage, we see exactly how he sustains us with a promise that I just mentioned earlier, that we will be found guiltless. In other words, it is the gospel that gives us the strength to do what God has called us to do. It's the gospel that drives us in our, our obedience to his word. And this is the gospel, that we've all sinned, that we've all preferred our own way of life rather than the designer, the design of the creator of life. We've all sinned. We've all offended God by trying to be independent rather than dependent. We've offended God and deserve nothing but the title of sinner. And this is true of the Corinthians. This Corinthian, this Corinthian church who it was so full of problems, so full of sin. And yet, what does Paul call them? He calls them not sinners, but he calls them saints. From the very beginning of the book, you are saints. And this is because Jesus took on all their immorality. And Jesus took on all our immorality and sinful morality. And he bore the consequences of it. He was killed on the cross. And then he received the punishment that we deserve. And in exchange, Jesus gave us his perfection. All of the righteousness of Jesus belongs to us. 
we are guiltless. That's the gospel. And that's why we can be called saints. We're fully adopted by God. We're fully and completely loved by God. And we're forever sustained by God. And Paul says, look forward to something. Verse 7, he says, look forward to the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 8 again, look forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we have to look forward to. The end of our work at IGC is not that we have X number of members. It's not that we one day will have a building. It's not, that, it's not even one day if IGC could take part in the work of bringing every single person in, in the Bay Area to Christ. That is not the end goal. The end goal is Christ himself. Imagine this, that one day all of our labors will cease that all the difficulties and discouragements we endured during ministry, all this is gone. There's going to be an end to the work that we do. And you and I will see our Lord Jesus Christ more beautiful and more glorious than our minds right now can even comprehend. And we'll say, all this that I did for the work of the gospel together with Indelible Grace Church or whatever church you're a part of, all this, all the tiredness, all the discouragement, all the frustration, all the conflict, all this was worth it once I lay my eyes on Jesus Christ. This is what we're working toward. We don't have to earn a right standing before God. We work because we know that after we've worked our tails off, we'll see Christ. The day is coming sooner than you think, that Jesus Christ is coming and we can know that we'll see him with our sinless eyes as he is. We'll never fear judgment because, Paul says, you are guiltless. Nothing can be brought up against you if you are in Christ Jesus. So this is the promise. That God calls us to do this impossible work. And he says, you can do it. Because I've given you my power. The basis of everything we do is what has already been done by Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I, just, I think I can speak for so many people when they, when they look at their ministry and say, uh, this is discouraging, this is tiring. Why does it feel like I'm so alone? For those of us who have done the work of ministry, I know that we've all felt that way from time. But I pray that you would give us encouragement. I pray that you give us power. I pray that you would cause our eyes to look to Christ, our Savior, who gives us strength, who gives us the desire to carry out your will. I pray that we'd be a Jesus-centered and focused church. I pray that your work would be done here at Indelible Grace Church. By your grace, God, give us the strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.